A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Amy, for reading that psalm so beautifully. How many of you have seen that movie, The Book of Eli? It's old. It's older. It's like an apocalyptic film with Denzel Washington. And in that movie, he has the only copy of the Bible. No one has read it. Almost no one reads anymore in this film. And there's one powerful scene in the movie where he's hunkered down with his traveling companion who's never heard of the scriptures. And at her request, he reads. And it's this holy moment in the film. And she's floored by the beauty of the text. And it was Psalm 23. My friend Chris Newton attended my last church where I was the lead pastor. She was there the entire time I was there, uh, over 20 years. And when I became the lead pastor, she was like a fierce, loyal, very kind source of support. And she passed away during COVID in her 60s. And in the hospice, my fellow pastor and friend Michelle, far better pastor than me, uh, she had friends of Chris record themselves reading a song. They couldn't visit her in the hospital because of the restrictions, so she recorded their voices reading Chris's favorite psalm, Psalm 23, on repeat. Different voices, different accents, people who had walked with her reading Psalm 23. Two weeks ago, I was speaking at a family camp, and I met an older woman who had Uh, Several siblings passed away in the last couple of years, and she told me that on her sister's deathbed four months ago, they read to her Psalm 23 multiple times. And one of the nurses overheard it, and afterwards she asked where that beautiful poem was from. She had never heard it before. Psalm 23, a psalm that is very famous and intersects with very significant moments in so many people's lives. And some of us were very familiar with this psalm, and so, you know, the concern might be that we're so, you know, inoculated with the imagery of this psalm that we're immune to the beauty of it. And, the prayer, you know, the prayer today is that, that we would be hit afresh with the beauty of the words. For others of us, this might be the first time we've heard the most famous psalm in the Bible. 
And what I want to do is walk through this psalm verse by verse, and I want to talk about five things. We heard about the shepherd as Amy read, and here's the five things I want to speak to you about this morning. First, the shepherd wants to keep us close. Second, the shepherd wants to refresh us. Third, the shepherd wants to guide us into righteousness. Fourth, the shepherd is with us in the darkest valleys. And fifth, the shepherd will follow us with goodness and love. Those are the five things I want to talk about this morning. And so first, the shepherd wants to keep us close. The Lord is my shepherd. It's this beautiful image of God. And this psalm was written by David, who was a shepherd. And in this scenario, we are the sheep, right? Kind of messy, prone to wander, frequently lost, easy prey for fear, guilt, and shame, yet deeply, deeply valuable to the shepherd. And there's this common preaching story that, you know, when a sheep is prone to wander, the shepherd will break the sheep's leg hobbling the sheep to keep it close. And then the shepherd will nurse the sheep back to health. And in the process of, you know, tending the sheep back to health, the two will become bonded in such a way that the sheep never wanders again. Now, I've heard that. It's popped up on my Instagram reels. But something about it, where I do a lot of my research, and (laughs) something about it didn't quite seem right to me. And so I looked into it, and it turns out there's like zero evidence for that practice. And it doesn't really make sense. Like, we've all been told that sheep are dumb, but apparently they have pretty good memories. And sheep would remember it was the shepherd who inflicted the original pain. And there would be obvious trust issues to overcome. Like, trust issues created by the shepherd. Like on a human level, if you slap me in the face and then give me an ice pack, we're going to have trust issues. (laughs) And if you go, no, I I slapped you in the face so that I could give you this ice pack so that you would see what a great person I am, I'll be like, oh, I don't know if that makes sense, the logic there. Now listen, here's what shepherds have been known to do. Shepherds have been known to use what's called a leg break. Don't think breaking a bone but you can see how we got there. Think brakes on a car to slow it down. And a leg brake is like a slightly burdensome weight that would be attached to the leg of the sheep who likes to wander. It would prevent the sheep from wandering too far from the shepherd. And as the sheep stays close to the shepherd, it does learn the shepherd's voice and learns to trust him and stay close to him. And after a while, the leg brake is removed. And I wonder, If the Lord is a good shepherd, does he sometimes give us the equivalent of a leg break to keep us close to him? To put the question another way, does God sometimes give us burdens to keep us close to him? Now, the Apostle Paul seemed to think so. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he writes this to the church in Corinth. I love this set of verses. He writes this, We did not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What's the interpretation the Apostle Paul puts on his trials? Trials that were far beyond their ability to endure to the point that they despaired of life itself. Well, he says this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves and wander off and go our own way, but so that we were, you know, would rely, be utterly dependent on God. In other words, stay close to the shepherd. And don't misunderstand me. Uh, in the present moment, burdens are just burdens. They feel like burdens. Let's not pretend. Burdens are just burdens. They're heavy. They're hard. We want to get them off as quickly as we can. They slow us down. But burdens can become retrospective blessings. That faith is sometimes believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. God, this is heavy. God, this is hard. God, I don't see how this can bring you glory and be good for me or anyone else. But I'm limited. I don't see the end from the beginning. I don't even understand how a zipper works or let alone the internet. Okay, and so, so I'm going to believe in advance what I might only see in reverse. And what's a faith perspective of burdens? Well, burdens can become retrospective blessings if we allow them to push us closer to the shepherd. When they make our ears more attuned to the voice of the shepherd. When our familiarity with the shepherd makes us more like him and we begin to want what he wants for us. And so let me ask you this question. In what ways has the good shepherd put leg breaks on your life? I've heard so many stories like this. And listen, to be clear, God doesn't do evil. People do God makes things, sin breaks things. But God's goodness is bigger than our badness and brokenness. So God can even use hard things for his purposes. And I wonder in what ways has the good shepherd put leg breaks on our lives to keep us dependent and close to him? It's something worth thinking about. On my side of the family, there is this long history of depression. There's also a long history of loving Jesus and his church, but I'm talking about deep depression. And to this point in my life, I've largely avoided slipping into massive depression. But I do have bouts of despondency that make my wife nervous. Maybe, you know, once a month for a day or two, Hopefully it's not on the night we host small group. Um, I think everything's pointless. And I'm not saying you have to view depression this way, especially if you struggle. I'm not saying that. But for me, it's been a break on my life. Like I view my tendency toward melancholy as an invitation for deep dependence on the Lord. It helps kill my pride. It helps me realize I need a good shepherd because my emotions are not always a reliable guide. It helps me realize I need a good shepherd because sometimes the greatest false prophet is the one that lives inside of me, and I need the shepherd's voice to counter the lies. I need to stay close to him. And the family history, it's one of the breaks in my life. Keeps me humble, keeps me dependent. What's a break on yours? A burden that could one day be viewed as a blessing because it keeps you close 
to the shepherd. I've heard so many stories like that. The shepherd wants to keep us close. Second, the good shepherd wants to refresh us, to restore us. That's why he wants us close. Look at verse 2. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. This is a picture of peace for the sheep, but not for the shepherd. Instead, it's a picture of real work that every shepherd had to perform most days because sheep need water but they're afraid of moderate to fast-moving streams. So for the free-range shepherd, they have to always be near water that's quiet or very slow, or they have to dam it. And if the shepherd's not near slow-moving water, he had to find it or create it by making a dam. Not only that, unless it's extreme rapids, the sheep aren't really in any danger with the shepherd nearby. And so leading the sheep to still water is a picture of the shepherd stooping to serve the sheep in their weakness. In other words, this is a picture of God meeting us where we are in our weakness, in our insecurity, in our ignorance, all with the purpose of refreshing us. I wonder, I'm asking a lot of questions in this talk, I wonder if you feel weary or tired. I was on a call with young pastors from across the nation this week, and that was one of the themes, people feeling tired. Do you feel like you need refreshment? Does it feel like your life is fraying around the edges a bit? Imagine God leading you to quiet waters to refresh and restore your soul. God wants to do this for you. You don't have to convince God to do this. God's not trying to run us into the ground. God has no interest in us being haggard, hurried, or worried. God's not trying to chew us up and spit us out. God isn't trying to ruin our lives. He wants to restore and refresh our lives. He understands our weaknesses and limitations and meets us in that place, in the midst of the burdens, in the midst of the leg breaks. He wants to refresh us and restore us, and he wants to keep us very close. Now, here's something that's interesting. The Hebrew word shuv is translated as refresh or restore. But in the prophets, it also means, and you could say maybe the primary usage of this word is for repentance or for turning. And so one could read this prayer as asking the Lord to turn us around and put us on the right path again. Because it's so easy to wander to drift, to be conformed to the practices of this world, to get out of sync with the shepherd. And so you could read this as David going, Yahweh, Lord, repent me, right? Turn my soul back to you. And the end result of this repentance, this turning, is times of refreshment. As it says in Acts 3, verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And what a beautiful way of reading that. God, repent me. God, turn me around if I'm on the wrong track. God, realign my heart with yours so that a time of refreshing may come. There's nothing more tiring to the soul than sin. And so turn to him, be refreshed. It's what he wants to do for us. And then third, the shepherd wants to lead us or guide us into righteousness. The psalm says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory, for his fame. He guides us 
in passive righteousness. And righteousness is really like right relatedness to God, to others, to our own self, and to the world around us. And he leads us in paths of right relatedness. God wants us to be rightly related to him, rightly related to others, rightly related to the world around us, and rightly related to the world within us. And so he leads us into right relatedness, the right path through his word by his spirit. And this isn't surprising because God is a God of reconciliation, right? The good shepherd Jesus gave his life to reconcile us to God. And he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, that he's always prodding us toward right relatedness. The shepherd can be very meddlesome, actually, because we're tempted to wander out of green pastures into the wastelands of bitterness or resentment or jealousy because grudges feel good sometimes and forgiveness is hard and jealousy comes natural to the human heart and so we're so prone or tempted to wander out of green pastures and the shepherd's always going, no, 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 I need to prod you back into right relatedness. And obviously, true reconciliation is a two-way street, and so sometimes it can't happen. But as far as it depends on us, as far as it's safe for us, have a heart that longs for right relatedness, because this is the shepherd's heart. He's always prodding us, leading us towards right relatedness, which sometimes means turning from our sin. Sometimes it means saying sorry. Sometimes it means forgiveness. All of it is hard but all of it can be healing. As we follow the prodding of the good shepherd, he leads us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Number four, the good shepherd is with us in the darkest valleys. Though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, some translations say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The good shepherd is with us. And here we notice a change of pronouns in the song. The psalmist starts with, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores my soul. But when it comes to the darkest valley, the pronoun changes to you. You are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table for me. You're with me as I walk through this valley. That God doesn't always lift us out of the valley. Sometimes God leads us through the valley. And the only way to get to the other side is to walk through it. God doesn't always change the circumstances circumstances. He changes us as we walk through the circumstances. And the good news is we don't walk alone. And remember, the good shepherd is Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, the thief comes to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's with us by the Holy Spirit. And this means the one who is acquainted with our sorrow is with us. The one who is fighting for our joy 
is with us. The one who fulfills our spiritual hunger is with us. The one who died on a cross is with us. The one who rose from the dead is with us. The one who ascended to the throne of the universe is with us. The one who loves to pour out his Holy Spirit on his followers is with us. The one who's coming to put everything right is with us. The mender of hearts, the forgiver of sins, the restorer of relationships, the healer of bodies, the defender of the defenseless, the defeater of Satan, sin, and death is with us. That Jesus is with us. And he's with us in the darkest valley. There's a story of a pastor who had just finished preaching a funeral. And Psalm 23 was read where it talks about the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley. And his daughter was curious and asked him about the verse. You know, what's the shadow of death? And at that moment, as they were driving, a trailer passed by and cast a shadow over their car. And the pastor asked his daughter, it's a pretty intense question actually, but asked his daughter if she'd rather be hit by the trailer or by its shadow. And she gave the obvious answer. She'd rather be hit by the shadow. The pastor then said, well, death is real, it's concrete. But we're only hit with the shadow. Now, to be in the shadow still means I'm not in the light of the sun. And the shadow of loss and grief can make us feel cold or go numb or wonder where the warmth of God's love has gone for longer periods than we're sometimes expecting. But it's still only the shadow because Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, bears the brunt of death in our place. He took the full impact. We're only struck by the shadow. That Jesus went through death and came out the other side, and he holds the keys to a door no one has ever unlocked before, and he invites us to follow him through it into life that is truly life, life that starts now and lasts forever. And one day there will be no shadow, only the sun. And so even though we walk through the darkest valley, we need not fear because he is with us. And that's very good news. And then fifth and lastly... Going at a great clip, which is good because this jacket may have been a mistake. Um, (laughs) Number five, the good shepherd will follow us with goodness and love all of our lives. So you look back at the psalm and the shepherd prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is symbolic of a feast, like a place of refreshment, a, you know, a place of strengthening and joy and festivity. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The psalmist is saying, my enemies can't ruin the celebration that you've set for me. And my cup, you know, it may feel dry, like loss and hardship have drained my cup, poked holes in my cup. I'm leaking peace and security and hope, but my cup will overflow again because of you. It will overflow again, and one day I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. And I've used this illustration before. I just want you to know that I know you came up because I told you to, but it's a little early. That's my bad. So, if you, you can hang out there, but just wait a little bit. Just, just. I don't want your fingers to get cramped up from all the just holding the pads. So just, again, my fault. 
I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it again, then retire it um, till next year. But my son is now 13, and we've watched the original Star Wars trilogy many times. And in The Empire Strikes Back, there's a scene at the start where Princess Leia kisses Luke to make Han Solo jealous. You remember the scene. It's what my kids used to call an aggressive kiss. And it works. Han Solo is jealous, and Luke thinks he's the man. Right? You're picturing the scene. Then, in Return of the Jedi, Luke finds out that Leia is his sister. And he tells Leia, listen, I'm your brother. And Leia says, somehow, I've always known. And you're like, what? You've always known? What were you doing kissing him? I, there was tongue involved, I am sure of it. And so I was like, what were you doing kissing? You've always known? And the point is very serious. It's, you can never watch that kiss the same way again once you know the end of the story. Why? Because knowing the end of the story can change our experience of the middle. Knowing the end of the story can change our experience of the middle. As followers of Jesus, we know the author of the story, and he has told us the end in advance. In the language of this psalm, we will dwell in the house in the presence of the Lord forever. As followers of Jesus, our best days are never behind us. They're always ahead of us. Therefore, joy should grow with age, not diminish with age. Therefore, anticipation should grow with age, not diminish with age. If I keep this one thought in front of my mind, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God forever. If that's not true, it is at the very least a useful fiction that produces hope and perseverance in the present and has helped many, many people. But if it is true, as we believe it is, based on the historic reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, if it is true, it changes everything. Think about this. If our lives were like a pie chart, a slice of that pie would be dark valleys, but only a part of it. And though it's not helpful to compare, some of us would have a bigger slice than others. Dark valleys we've had to walk through. But still, it's only a part of the pie. The problem is we don't remember so much of our lives, and we do remember the very hard things, so troubles and trials can loom very large in our life story. But still, troubles and trials, dark valleys, though a part of our lives aren't our whole lives, only a part of the pie. Now imagine pulling back from the pie chart until your life looks like a dot seen from a distance. And that dot is located on a line that symbolizes an eternity of wholeness and healing and joy. That's what is awaiting us. And it puts the dark valleys, the hard and difficult slice of the pie, back into perspective, doesn't it? From the light of eternity, you can no longer see the hard part of the pie, or maybe to say it better, you see it as part of a far bigger story 
and it can't dominate the horizon of our lives anymore. And the challenge then becomes like to, to zoom back into our lives and to be present without losing the bigger picture that surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the good news of this psalm is that God is also with us in the hard parts of the pie, right? The valleys. He will even use the hard stuff to keep us close to him until we dwell with him forever. And until that day, his goodness and love follows us. What a promise. God's goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives. That we're all chasing after love and goodness, every one of us. Sometimes we chase after it in the wrong place and God needs to repent our souls. But we're still chasing it. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the story of scripture is that the source of all love and goodness is chasing us, following us wherever we go, trying to flag us down, trying to get our attention, saying, I'm pursuing you. Realign your heart, realign your purpose to my purpose for you because it's bigger and better and more beautiful than anything you could dream up on your own. His love, his goodness is following us. One last little illustration. My children do chores at home. They set the table, clear the table. Caden, uh, my son, does his own laundry, uh, sweeping. Caden uh, vacuums, uh, kind of. And uh, he read this and gave me permission. But I'll go into my bedroom after he's vacuumed, and it doesn't ever feel all the way done. And I'm picking up specks of dirt, and huge patches are missed. And I feel this need to like redo the entire thing. And it can be frustrating, right? Like parents, you know the feeling. Roommates probably know the feeling. Um, wives, you know the feeling, right? So, and you can have this thought like, man, am I gonna have to clean up after this kid his whole life? Wives shouldn't think that about their husbands. I'm talking now about my, that's not appropriate. I'm thinking about kids, like your kid, you're like, ah, am I going to have to clean up after this kid his whole life? And it's good to be reminded in those types of moments, the Lord has been doing that for me my entire life. Because it humbles me and makes me more gracious. That his goodness and his love has been following me, forgiving my sins, guiding my steps, protecting me in ways I haven't even realized realigning my soul, bringing me to repentance again and again, refreshing me. It's like through all our faults and failings, God's goodness and love is following us. And it will follow us all the days of our lives until we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to invite us to stand to our feet and I want to read once again the words of Psalm 23 so you can hear it afresh. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And maybe for some of us here today, we're going to make that personal for the first time. We've heard of God as the shepherd or a shepherd. But today we want to cross this line and say, no, God, you can be my shepherd. I give you my sin. I give you my life. Repent my soul. Realign me to your purposes. And you would pray maybe for the first time, God, you're my shepherd. It's that person, nothing. He makes me... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Maybe that's a prayer for some of us today. God, I need refreshment. Like, meet me today in my weakness, in my limitation. Or maybe we pray, God, repent my soul. I know I've drifted. And here's how. Realign me to your purposes, knowing that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And all he wants to do is refresh and restore us. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Maybe as we go into prayer ministry and communion and response, you would recognize you're in a dark valley. And you need someone to come alongside you and pray for you and uphold you. One of the ways that God meets us in dark valleys is through his body. And we'll have people up front willing to pray with and for you. Pray God's presence, his comfort into your life. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's a prayer that I would have for many of us today, that there would just be an outpouring of the joy of the Lord. That would be what refreshes our soul. The joy of the Lord is our strength, that we would celebrate the fact that we belong to a good shepherd who laid down his life for us, who will never leave us or forsake us, even in the darkest valleys. That's good news. It should create celebration, joy, a table, even in the presence of our enemies, an overflowing cup. And that's my prayer. God would overflow our cups this morning. Then verse 6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 